What you are about to hear is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries of Spring Lake, Michigan. Your teachers are Don and Becky Smith, and this first session is from the 2019 Bridge to Life Couples Weekend. The focus, prioritizing your marriage. Usually we fail to look at our hearts. Recently, there was a husband, uh, a couple have been coming in off and on, and the husband just came in, and he professes to be a believer, but he just said, Don, I'm just not happy, and uh, he kind of used that to justify pulling away from his wife. She's critical, she's this and that, and I said, "Where, where does God fit into this with you as far as you claim to know his word and such. And, and his thing was, um, I, I don't think that has a lot to do with how I'm feeling about my marriage. Um, and I just said, it has everything to do with it. And uh, I think we make this disconnect in the sense of, th- this is my marriage and how I feel. And over here is God someplace, when in reality, if I'm not at peace inside, all this other stuff doesn't really make a difference. Uh, the, the comment I made last night was that uh, if, if we're just looking for more insight, how to treat each other better, how to communicate better, uh, and that's just simply techniques, what we're basically doing is learning to manipulate each other better without really coming from a pure heart. And, you know, when we do that, we really know it uh, when someone is not loving from a pure heart. So that was kind of the theme, the, the thought last night. So bringing us to this morning, what we want to picture is a house. And in that house, it represents our marriage. And what if we were to take and kind of walk through our house and what would we see? Maybe some of you are familiar with uh, the little booklet uh, years and years ago ran across, but it's called uh, My Heart, Christ's Home, I think it is. And, um, and the author of that little booklet uh, basically just said, if God was to walk through your life, what would he see and what would, um, what would you need to be working on? So picking up on that concept, I've always appreciated that little booklet, um, I thought, what if we apply that to our marriage? So I'm taking that idea, but totally um, position it to look at our marriage relationship. So um, why don't we start with prayer and we'll jump into it. Lord, uh, this morning, give me clarity of thought uh, as we kind of walk through some of these uh, uh, points. And um, I just pray that... Um, We'll be able to think about the things you want us to think about. Uh, Thank you for each person here. You have us here providentially. Nothing's by mistake. And so uh, we humbly come before your throne to just um, allow you to do the work you need to. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what would be the first room that you would consider um, that would be the central hub of your home. I tried to think of that in the concept, well, uh, our home, when you walk in, you walk right into the living room. 
But I thought, what controls our home? And if we put that in contemporary thinking, what I came up with is our IT room. By that I mean um, the electronics, the, the internet, the television, those things that influence us. If there's not a time that is more important than now is the outside influences that affect the way we see things, the way we feel, the way we um, kind of find our value from. And uh, television, internet uh, has a huge influence on our happiness, what we think we need, and our, our value system. And so I thought, I, let's take a look at our IT room and just um, see what there is to look at. First, I must uh, confess, I'm not an IT person. Becky is much better at that. Our son, Josh, back there is really good at it, at least from my perspective. When I have problems with my computer, when I push a button, it's supposed to work, and if it doesn't, I have to call somebody. Um, that's the extent of my knowledge of those things. And so there may be some of you here that just saying, Don, this session doesn't apply to me or us because we're not very intellectual or intelligent in these realms. But I would say you don't have to be to be affected by it. So let's just kind of look at what what are the things. So I put a definition by each of these rooms. And this room is, um, so let me get to the PowerPoint that we need here. Um, so uh, the IT room is a room that influences our soul. We might think of the IT room as a gateway to what we allow to impact our thinking, desires, and marriage. And what, what is probably the most prominent um, thing that influences our phone? I would be shocked if there was a person in here that didn't have a cell phone. At least as a couple. You don't? Oh, you had it as a couple. Okay. That was close. Um, But you really should have your own. I don't... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's that's a good substitute, so... Um, But it's rare to see that. Um... It's something that almost becomes part of you. Uh, when I don't, when I forget my phone, which isn't too often, I, I feel naked. Uh, it's just like, and, and usually I keep it in my front right pocket. And uh, you know, sometimes I don't have it in my pocket, but I can literally feel that part of my body vibrate. And sometimes I reach <laughs> <laughs> to say, "Where's my phone?" Uh, it, it's just a part of me, and. Uh, as soon as it vibrates, you know, we want to go look at it as to what is uh, going on there. So my, my question is, how much does our cell phone or tablet uh, control our life? How do we allow it to impact our thinking and such? So here's a few thoughts I thought were important. Uh, first of all, uh, have you heard of the word fubbing? Anybody? Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we taught the class, I introduced the word fubbing. And uh, later several of them said, Don, you made that, root, that word up. I didn't. I found it in some of my research. Uh, 
Fubbing comes from the idea of snubbing. Only PH for phone. Fubbing. It's the idea of taking and we when we are so um, attached to or involved with our electronic issues, how does our spouse feel? Often snubbed in some way. It's, it's the idea of taking and um, um, looking at... Um, we're, we're so involved in that, our spouse feels neglected. Um, it, it was interesting that... Um, some of the research showed that when your spouse, and, and I'm not pointing out any spouse here, but the research showed that when a spouse is involved in a lot of phone or tablet type use, how does the other spouse feel? And what they said that a large majority of them felt depressed after a period of time. They felt neglected. They felt like uh, they weren't important. Uh, and, and one of the things that made me come up with this is it, I realize it comes up a lot in my counseling where uh, just recently a husband said, Don, I come home from work and my wife's on the couch and she's on her iPad and, um, and she's just there pretty much the rest of the evening either playing games or Facebook or texting friends and such. And he says, I can sit there in the living room and we don't say a word to each other. And she's sitting in front of the TV and on her iPad. And the, the thing is, is that um, what does that do to our relationship? How does it rob us of time of really connecting uh, with each other? So um, kind of the idea is, is that um, these things really control us probably more than we realize. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about? Well, I think we we've been guilty of it ourselves, um, and maybe not even aware of it. But I can remember we were in in a group, and um, we had to talk about some of those things. And I didn't realize that when I'm on my iPad, I like to do puzzles, but I, and I like to kind of unwind a bit at night doing a puzzle in, in bed. Finding out that he felt snubbed in a sense and just didn't feel like we were very close during that time so had to be very much aware of of that how about you how do i feel when you do that no. <laughs> depressed <laughs> no uh, so i don't understand your question how do i feel what what do you do in our oh, marriage okay style? Um, your cell phone, your iPad, or your computer. So, no, I, w- I would ask this question. How do you feel as to my use of it? I want you to own your part. I own my phone. <laughs> it's mine. Um, so, I will say this taking full responsibility that I I think earlier I used to be on my computer a lot. I'm not on my phone a lot, I don't feel like. Oh, yes, you are. Uh, As I recall, you asked me how I felt. (laughs) Um, Slow down. I'm trying to break down. (laughs) 
Um, so. Yes, <laughs> I am too. <laughs> yeah, I. I uh, and you see how he uses joking to kind of deflect. Um, no, I'm just I'm being very vulnerable. <laughs> so uh, I I used to be on my computer a lot in the evening, um, but I would say, in comparison to what I used to do. Um, I th- I'm not on my computer a lot. I might be on my cell phone a little bit. <laughs> right? <laughs> no answer is a yes answer. <laughs> what? We'll talk later. We'll talk later. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of busy this weekend with all this stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to keep it. Yeah, we can talk then. You bet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, I just want to make a comment. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm of the generation where there was actually no cell phones and computers and tablets uh, when we were married and we were younger. You know, and I remember going through uh, marriage encounters and retreats. And <clears throat> we talked about, even back then, about distractions, about all the distractions and ways and how it. <clears throat> Yeah, it, it is, and um, I'm teasing a little bit with Becky here, but I would say, do we talk about how we feel about the use of cell phones or tablets and such in our marriage relationship? I think for the most part, we just tolerate it or it goes unspoken. And what would it look like just to say, how do you feel about my use of uh, the electronics how does that make you feel? And um, what can we do to take and um, not let these be distractions or addictions? I, I, I'm, uh, I'm just surprised how many times it does come up in counseling where it's, it's a deep-seated resentment that is there. And so, um, um, anyhow... Uh, it's a serious impact on our marriages. The next issue I want to bring up is um, the uh, cell phone privacy or computers for that matter. Um, first of all, let me just ask, do we allow our spouse access to our phones, iPads, computers, whatever? Uh, and second is, does our spouse know all of our passwords to everything. Um, no. 
Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're safe there, right? And so the question was what again? Okay, that's a good question. So to the degree that you're vulnerable, how many of you would say it, it is a distraction or a struggle in your marriage relationship? Let's say one is, so this is taking a step out there. Just personally, how many of you feel like it's an issue for you personally? Okay. Okay, so it's a, it's a significant thing. Let me ask the question a little bit differently. How many of you are concerned about your spouse's use, that it bothers you? Okay, so just about the, the samers. Um, so it is an issue. Uh, I, I'm just curious, is there any other comments about this that um, anybody would like to make? Yeah, I think someplace in the lectures this morning we we talk about that, but for fear of I I don't I'll just say one word is um, th- there's a couple recently um, and the wife just need, reads novels all the time. Um, truthfully, as we talked about it, it was her way of escaping just the reality and boredom of their marriage and fantasies of stories and love stories and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think anything can be a distraction to kill that um, idle time, or if I, I would say it better than that, I think it, it kills the numbness inside, that uh, the emptiness we feel, and we have to fill it with something, and these distractions can come up. Yeah? Yeah, um, yeah. the comment was, uh, it, it seems to be acceptable to do it on paper, but to use your uh, computer, iPad, whatever, uh, for news or whatever, there's kind of a taboo to that, right? And, and I would say you even have it in church. Um, you know, some people use um, um, their Bible off of here, and when the pastor says, turn to such and such, they get their phone out. And I, there is that kind of like, oh, they're on their cell phone. And, uh, and I know several people that just really find 
it, it's convenient for them to use the, the, the iPad um, or phone for the Bible. Uh, I, I, I can't make that a transition. I need a written paper page. Um, but, uh, yeah, what do we think about that? Yeah, and, and I think that unknown um, raises a lot of suspicion in our marriage relationship when, uh, especially if if we're wa- looking at something on the phone or iPad and then Becky walks in, I kind of just put it down quick. All of a sudden, those things come up and who knows uh, what I might be looking at and it might be totally good, but there's that suspicion and mistrust uh, that takes place. Yes. Coming off of hell's insecurity suspicions, my experience has been that when I'm in that place, the enemy jumps in with both feet and starts feeding those suspicions, starts feeding that insecurity. Hmm. And it's something that our spouses need to be aware of how we're feeling, but we also need to be aware of the enemy's tactics and put a stop to it as soon as we recognize it. Yeah. Yeah, we, I think we really need to be sensitive to the, to, um, and, and I appreciate the way you said it, uh, just uh, the impact that it's having on us, but are, are, are we even convicted about what we look at on the phone and such? Um, and I'm not just talking about the amount of time we spend on it, but rather what we expose ourselves to. And um, do we give our spouse freedom to check what we've been viewing? Um, Becky has total right any time to look at my phone uh, and vice versa. Uh, not that we check each other's uh, much, but, um, you know, I'm an open book. And... Um, there's, and I have all the passwords, and you have all my passwords. Yeah. So um, I, I think um, th- there was one, not too long ago, a couple came in, and, and he says, yes, she has access to my, my computer, iPad, whatever it was. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I have, I have access, but he clears his history every day. He says, well, it's just a habit. No, it's a choice. 
So what are you hiding? I don't, I don't buy that one. And so uh, I, I think we just, you know, is my heart really vulnerable, really open uh, to the Holy Spirit convicting me about things, but also toward my spouse. So, in. Yeah. I mean, even though there's forgiveness and repentance, you know, and you've got in your heart and positivity, there's still nothing should be hidden, nothing should be erased. Everything should be an open book because we are as one. And sometimes, because of our bad experience, it weighs on. Thank you. Um, once that trust is broken, it, it, we don't go back to zero again. There's an element of mistrust from that point forward. So, any other comments here before we move on? Yes. Her question is, if trust has been broken, can we ever get back to where there's total trust again, basically? Um, I'm just curious. Any thoughts or comments here on this? Very hard. Very hard? Okay. What's that? Not impossible. Were you going to say no, something more? Say it's, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, coming from this, it hits home, mm-hmm. really close to home. So it's not impossible, but it's hard work to get it back. I mean, still working every day to trust. Yeah. It's a continual process. Yes, Hal. Yeah, and let me say a couple of thoughts about trust, how you triggered a thought in me. 
usually when there's been a, bra- a breakdown in trust, what we really say is, uh, let, let's say I've done something, you know, uh, I've looked at porn on the thing, and I say, well, Becky, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and um, such, and uh, tr- you need to trust me. She can sit there all day and trust me, or try to trust me, and that's not going to do anything. The issue isn't her trusting me. The issue is me showing myself trustworthy. The issue is on me, not on trying to get her to do something. And I believe that happens a couple ways, and probably more if I thought about it, but the two that come to my mind is, one, is there a willingness to be vulnerable, to be transparent, and to be accountable? And number two, I would say it really comes down to a heart change. Because I can say, well, look what I'm doing, and why aren't you uh, pleased? I, I haven't looked at porn now for six months, and da-da-da. Or is there a humble brokenness where I'm really sensitive to, and Becky can see in me, Don, one, is repentant, but also he takes it seriously, and his heart is tender toward me. It's not like, oh, I'm proving myself. No, it's because a heart change has taken place. And so I, I would say that... Um, uh, to answer your question, um, is it possible uh, to 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 not uh, struggle with that? Um, I would say it's difficult. I if there's a heart change and some of the things we talked about, I, I believe it can become less and less of an issue. But but as said back here, it, it's a hard and it's a long path. And I think often what we want is we want it to happen right now. And that's just impossible. But I believe it is possible to build the trust back. So. Yeah, it, it, but it depends what you do with that time. It's not just the time alone, but I think time is necessary. Yeah. So, yes. Good point. Good. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, um, uh, the, the next point is, um, uh, tra- well, we're talking about it already, transparency and trust. Um, probably my, my question here is how... Open are we to being transparent? Uh, if there's a hesitation, if there's a struggle with that, one is I think our spouse can pick up on that right away. And so, like, why are you struggling with this? If, if there's nothing there, then what are you hiding? And so I, I would just simply say um, healthy marriage relationships are transparent. They're open. They're vulnerable. Uh, but probably... If there is a struggle here, there's probably been some hurts in the past that are affecting your ability to be transparent. And I would say one of them that comes up a lot in counseling is simply this, is if I am vulnerable, then it's going to be used against me. And uh, I, I think if I want to invite Becky's vulnerability, I need to be willing to 
not attack her or, or beat her up with it or hold it against her. And so I would say if that is going on, then I think we need to talk about, I would like to be more vulnerable, but you cannot use it against me. That doesn't mean you don't bring it up, but it's the way you use it. Uh, any thoughts on this area? Just curious. Yes. Yeah, I, I th- you put it well in that uh, I, I think sometimes we're fearful, will my spouse leave me or give up on me or what will they think of me? But it's not until we're totally transparent can we really know if you love me because here's the good, bad, and the ugly and you still choose to love me? Uh, that's powerful and uh, that's transforming. So... Uh, it's interesting that um, the, the next point here is, uh, well, it's not in your notes, but in my notes. Um, what, is, what was Adam and Eve's relationship like? And, and one is that they were totally transparent. Uh, it says they were naked and, they, and there was no shame. And, and so what does it mean to be naked emotionally, physically, um, um, spiritually, in the sense of here's who I am, and uh, I don't have to hide. Sometimes I kind of wonder what would a marriage relationship be like if we didn't struggle. I, I think it's so foreign to what we actually do that it, it's hard to wrap our brains around that. As to uh, with Becky, would I just share more? Would I? be more vulnerable? Would there be more of a connection in a deeper way? Uh, We've so adjusted to sin and our self-protection, I think sometimes we don't realize how much it interferes with what God really intended. What you're listening to is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2019 Couples Weekend. The focus is prioritizing your marriage. To learn more about the ministry, you can go to bridgetolife.org. Now back to Don and Becky Smith. Yeah, I, I think um, we, we hide so much that um, um, even in, the, I appreciate you saying it, in the community, in the church, we hide and... Um, so um, let's go to the next point here, which is, um, and, and again, I'm not thinking of this in a tech kind of way, but what apps do you have downloaded? And I don't mean literally on your phone, but rather I mean it in the sense of just, yeah, what is on your phone, but also what do you expose yourself to? Uh, by apps, I'm just talking about those things that impact us and influence us. 
and here's what I, I put in my notes. Is there anything that I wouldn't want Jesus to see? That I would be embarrassed if he were to come and said, Don, let me check your computer, your, your iPhone, um, or just things that influence you that you expose yourself to. That I would say, Lord, uh, let me do a little cleaning up first, and then you can come. Um, if Jesus, if Jesus was uh, with me, would I spend as much time on the phone or iPad that I do? I that one was more convicting to me as I thought about it. I I, I think it's all right if I'm on the phone and um, doing whatever, and Becky's there and she can do her thing. But if literally Jesus was right here, would I say, thanks for being here, Jesus, but I'm busy on my phone? I think I would want to absorb as much as I could from him. And um, yet I I spend it on other things. Um, Not too long ago, uh, um, a husband passed away. And um, they bickered a lot and this and that. And and the wife just said, you know what? I wish I would have taken advantage of more time with my spouse. Uh, wasted time and uh, fighting over petty things. I remember some years ago, a woman, and I counseled them for a little bit, and then he died in an accident. And uh, she, a few months later, she came in, came in and said, Don, I just need to talk to you. I, of course, I don't have my spouse here, so it's not marriage counseling. But she says, you know us well from the counseling. I just need to talk with you. And she just said, you know what? I was, I was critical of my husband, and uh, he never felt like he could do anything right to please her. And uh, she said, I feel so bad for what I did. And she says, one of the things she complained about a lot, which he was not good at, is picking up his dirty clothes. He, he would lay him on the floor in the bedroom there. And she says, I would give anything to pick up his dirty clothes again. And I, I think that some of the things we take for granted that annoy us, um, can we look at it differently in that way? Uh, the other one here is antivirus programs. Um, so the, the what I have here is what are ways that we prioritize our spouse above um, our phone? In other words, what are some things that I can do to to control the use that don't will not interfere with our relationship? So here's some thoughts I put down. Can I put my phone down in a specific place at night so it isn't so tempting to use all the time? Or another one is, is at dinner time, um, do we say no phones at the table? Or if we have them at the table, at least we're not going to look at them. But something to say this is sacred time and we want to protect that. Um, I I think also uh, what we're doing, how does it affect our children, our use of our phones? And I want my kids to know that they come first. Recently, uh, Becky and I were out in uh, Arizona about a month ago. And um, my one sister passed away from cancer last April. 
and uh, her husband has prostate cancer and is in um, uh, advanced stages of the prostate cancer and probably won't live uh, more than a year. And I have another sister that lives in uh, Prescott, and uh, her husband has advanced uh, prostate cancer. They've stopped treatment on him because it will not do any good. It's gone into his bones. And so we went out there just to spend time with my two brother-in-laws, not knowing if this would be the last time we would see them. We stayed with my sister, and uh, one of the things she did was um, she had her cell phone all the time with her right there. And uh, they have, what, five kids? And uh, she has this little network thing that uh, they all stay connected, and they are always texting each other, her and the kids. And uh, she said, no one's going to tell me to put my phone down because those are my kids, and I want to stay connected with them. But it was incredibly annoying for the rest of us. One is it dinged every time, and she had it on high volume. I, I just said, I said, Julie, could you at least turn it down? If you're not going to uh, uh, ignore it, at least turn it down, which she didn't. Um, but the other thing was is that um, we would pl- uh, they enjoy playing games, and so we played some games with them. And during the game, she's there texting them uh, every time it dinged, and I would say it probably dang- dinged 20 times or so in a game. And it, it's just like um, she was oblivious that it might interfere with what, you know, we flew almost 2,000 miles to get there, and uh, your dinging phone takes priority. Um, That's fubbing. I would put it that way, right? Were you annoyed with it, or how did you feel? Yeah, I thought at least she could put it on silent. Yeah. So we wouldn't have to hear the dinging every... Because every time one person would respond, everybody would get it, you know, and so she was constantly... And she said, well, I don't... I might miss a phone call. I might miss a text from the kids. So, just, uh, is it possible that we use the technology on purpose so we avoid having a relationship with our spouse? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I, I think uh, everything we do is a choice. And so the question is, what is the motive behind it? And so... Yeah. 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 Uh, what he's saying is, if our relationship isn't good with our spouse, uh, these things are good for avoiding that interaction connection. Another point I uh, have here is uh, we shouldn't be searching for old flames on social media, particularly Facebook. Okay. Uh, had a dear uh, friend. Uh, well-known in West Michigan, uh, been married probably 40-some years. But anyhow, he, um, he ran across uh, a girlfriend that he had in high school that he had a crush on, and uh, he began to text or uh, communicate back and forth. And uh, anyhow, to the point that he thought... Perhaps there was a good way to take and um, connect with her. So um, she lived in Florida. He lives in Michigan. And he took and um, 
told his wife he didn't want to be married anymore, and he was going to go to the old girlfriend in Florida, who he hadn't seen for years. And um, anyhow, he got down there, wasn't there more than three months, came back, and his comment was, I want my marriage back because she's a horrible person. He says, uh, the one in Florida, he said, she's evil, and he says, there's no way I could live with her. She wasn't what he had fantasized in his mind to be. And, of course, his wife struggled immensely, like, I'm second best. It didn't work with her, so you want me back. And it took over two years for them to finally break through that perhaps, and I don't think his motives were pure to start with, but eventually they were, that uh, she was wanted for herself, the wife. So my, my point is, don't, don't even open up those doors for Satan to tempt you, um, to, to take and uh, open those doors. Uh, just one more here, uh, two more. Uh, the, the next one is, uh, you might consider installing uh, uh, filtering software on your phone or computer, that sort of thing that uh, helps protect you if, if you're too tempted. Um, and there's stuff available for that. The last one I want to bring up is this. Avoid confrontation or conflict by texting. I'm shocked at how much of counseling is sometimes dealt with fights they had texting where they misunderstood each other. And uh, it turns into a full-blown argument, and, and pretty soon they're talking about two different things, and they're not connecting. And I, I would say texting is not the place to carry out a conflict issue. Um, here's why. Uh, if you take the heart and soul of a real marriage class in uh, the one section there, we have a graph, and it says the total message of communicating Seven. I don't know who came up with these statistics, but here's what they did. They said 7% of the actual message that you receive is from words. Okay? It's the verbal words that are being spoken. 35% of the message is by the tone of voice. Okay? And 55%, the remainder, is what they call nonverbal. Eye contact, body posturing, the message that we send. So, so like I could say to Becky, you know, I could say, Becky, I love you. And that sounds pretty sincere, okay, right? But if I said the exact same words, Becky, I love you, you know, it totally changes the message of that, the tone of voice. You don't have the chance or opportunity in texting to put a tone in there. And therefore, you know, what is it really meaning? And I could say, Becky, I would really like to talk with you and, and discuss some things with you. And what does she want to do? She wants Don look at me. And, and many times what we're doing is we're on our iPhone. Yeah, Becky, what do you want? You know, or we're on the television. But uh, we're distracted. And one of the things that saved our marriage is... Um, what do you call the thing on TV? TiVo. It's direct TV. Now. Direct TV. But anyhow, you can stop it or you can rewind it. And Becky has this unique gift, in my opinion, of interrupt me just at the punchline. Okay? And I don't like this. 
she'll walk in, He'll I'll walk go in like that. Yeah. Which only it, it just tells me I'm too busy. This is more important. You're not important. And, yeah, and yeah. then by that time, I've forgotten what uh, I was going to say. <laughs> I'll say, okay, what did you want? Nothing. Yeah, because uh, by that time, I'm mad. Yeah, and I don't understand why. <laughs> I'm totally available now. <laughs> but uh, but now, I, I when she comes in, uh, I can just... It's still annoying. Annoying that you talk no, to me? No, that you immediately... <laughs> that you... That you immediately pick up the remote and put the thing on pause. Almost annoyed that I'm in the room. No. It, <laughs> when, when I put it on pause, it's not because I'm irritated. I want to pause it so I can listen to you. I can always rewind it and get it. But the actions, Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're both wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I did it with an attitude, that would be one Sometimes thing. Sometimes you do. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we could live. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What's that? A rerun. Um, I'm sorry I brought this one up. <laughs> she had a comment over. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, one, one of the things we encourage um, is uh, to repeat back what you heard, uh, which really, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying, or no, you totally missed it. Let me say it again. Because when we repeat back, we, we, we are aware if they're getting the right message or not. So uh, that's huge. Um, so the, the last uh, point, take a pledge of transparency. But by what I mean here simply is this, is um, are we uh, willing to commit to transparency? If there's some issues that are, are bothering us, one, let's talk about them. And number two is what would it look like then to really have transparency or to be able to trust in some of these areas? Um, and so... Uh, if passwords are an issue, if um, uh, checking things. But uh, my message to Becky uh, numerous times, uh, to me, it, to my knowledge, it hasn't been an issue. But, uh, hey, Beck, you know, if, this, if anything bothers you, let me know. Uh, but also you have total access to my phone, passwords, uh, nothing. Any thoughts there, Beck? No. Nope. So. fine. Okay. I, know, I know it's an open book. So, good. Any other last thoughts on this before we switch rooms? Yes. I'm take a break. Mine wasn't selfish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, because it, it could be a demandingness. I want the attention here, and you're not giving it to me. 
which is a good point. Um, and I, I think we have to... I'm a huge one for what is the motive behind what we do or what we ask for. And so I, I would say, um, I, I, to me it was just, what annoyed me the most, not that I'm trying to defend myself, is that she had the ding on high volume and then at that point everything started bothering me, you know. But, but uh, I didn't say anything other than I asked her if she'd turn down the volume. But uh, her and I are very close, so... So I, you know, it sounds like to me the problem is with her. She was depri- <laughs> she was deprived of television, and so. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> so. But, but you know what? I, I think that's an excellent example. We, we both come from different perspectives and, and backgrounds and such that affect the way that we think things should be, our expectations, and how we read things, which is very powerful. powerful. Uh, to me, that's one of the reasons why it's really important to know our spouse's story. Uh, just what has affected them. Because that's what comes out of the marriage relationship. A marriage is no better than the people that are in it. And that's as a result of our, our stories and uh, things that have affected us. So uh, we have to make that a priority. Well, let's take a break. Um, we want to... Uh, um, how do you want to do this? Uh, I'm thinking uh, it's not raining out. We could probably take a picture right out front. Should we do that first? So let's take the picture first, and then we'll give you a few minutes to get coffee, bathroom. If someone has to go to the bathroom really fast, uh, go ahead. But uh, let's start assembling outside. Uh, There's kind of a couple layers there we can use. Hmm? I thought... thought, Um, before we jump into our next room, which is the kitchen dining room, uh, Jeff wants to ask a question of the group. So, uh, Jeff, go ahead and. Okay. Did you want to open that up? Yeah. Did you want any? Okay. We'll just do this quick. But anybody, because uh, they, they've both been married before multiple times, and I'm assuming that some of the past relationship carries into your guys' relationship now. Yes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I would say it comes up a lot in uh, dealing with second marriages, uh, especially if there's been uh, uh, trauma of some sort in those relationships. 
Uh, it comes out huge. That's why I think it's really important. Uh, one is to understand their story and what they've been through. Uh, one of the things uh, going through the heart and soul we talk about is what are your triggers? And not only do they come from childhood, but they also come from um, your previous marriage relationships. And you can begin to say, so what, why am I getting triggered here? And discuss that, but also knowing what the real source of, of it is. So, I, I think you can grow in it. I, this is my one. I haven't been in your shoes, so I, I can't speak emphatically. But I would say I think it will always, to some degree, be an issue that will affect your relationship. The other thing I, I want to just add, and this is for first-time marriages or otherwise, is that our spouse is not our enemy. And Satan wants to get us to believe that my problem is her. She's my enemy. When my real enemy is the one who feeds me lies, which is Satan. And so um, keeping that in perspective that, hey, we're carrying uh, baggage from the past. And there's a lot of things that uh, we process as a result of that. And I want to make sure. And, and I, I would say this. A healthy marriage is one who continually is open to growing and looking at things. And when you say, hey, I don't need to work on anything or I don't need to change, your marriage is in trouble. Uh, the example I give in our other class is simply this is that a marriage relationship is like canoeing. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I would say the closest that Becky and I have ever come to divorce is when we were canoeing. Um, <laughs> it, it just didn't go well. When our kids were young, uh, we went canoeing up by Baldwin and uh, went, I don't know what the name of that river is. but Pure Marquette. Uh, so uh, we get in, and we hadn't been canoeing before, the kids each had, uh, there was two canoes with the kids in it. We had ours with our youngest. And uh, immediately we hadn't gone from here to that wall and we flipped. And, uh, and, and do you want to put in your two cents worth here? Well, before he started and he's sitting there and we're not moving. And I said, what's going on? And he said, be quiet. I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> and I didn't know he'd never been in a canoe before, and I knew we were in trouble. And we told the kids, you now there's no horsing around, no flipping canoes. And they said, that's not fun. And we said, we mean it. So 15 minutes out, branch comes along, he dodges the branch, hits me in the face, we flip. We had all the lunch. I had this idea of the perfect lunch on the on the shore with a blanket. So we had the blanket that weighed two ton when it's wet and you're pulling it back. <laughs> and all our food we had and we're telling the kids, catch it, catch it. Catch, catch the, the pops that pop it. The, the sandwiches, of pop grab them. They were all in Ziploc baggies, thank goodness. But um, yeah. we did it three, we three, more, three, three times. times total. So uh, she awful. swore she would never get in a canoe with me again. And which I was haven't. totally okay with me. Uh, um, but uh, so my point in canoeing is this if Don't. you're <laughs> uh, I, I'm teaching right now okay. um, 
is, is when you're canoeing going upstream and you just decide to take, let's take a rest right here, and you stop paddling, what happens? The current just begins to take you downstream. You have to keep paddling. You have to keep putting energy into it. I think the same thing is true in our marriage relationship, that there's no such thing as, oh, we're going to take a break and not deal with anything. It's we have to continue to paddle. We have to continue to process, work on things, discuss things, um, evaluate our motives and triggers, and how does um, God fit into that. And so um, there's no such thing as just we're going to take a break here. Because Satan wants to to flip us, for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we change, and hopefully we're maturing. I think the difficulty is is when one matures and the other one doesn't. Uh, it creates a lot of conflict. Well, we need to get to the notes here, so I'm going to rein you in just a little bit. Um, I invite your comments, but I, I don't want it to distract from getting through the material, too, so we'll find a balance here. So the next room, after the IT room, is uh, I would consider that the kitchen. And uh, so the kitchen and dining room represent the room of our appetite and desires. It is here that we often spend a lot of time and energy trying to satisfy our cravings and wants. In other words, what is it we're really seeking for happiness, for self-worth, uh, just intimacy? Uh, and by intimacy, I don't mean just sexual, but just the closeness of connecting. And so basically, I put this in uh, two areas. One is temporal uh, hunger. In other words, those temporal things that um, we're looking for that aren't spiritual. Uh, I wrote this. What are the underlying issues that drive our behavior and desires deep inside? What are we searching for? We need to listen to our passions within that we use to fill the emptiness inside of us. And so there, there's something we're craving. There's something we're wanting. And I put a few here. Uh, I'm sure there's more. Uh, but the, the first one that came to my mind is money. Uh, money isn't bad, but it's, it's um, an issue when that's our security, when we feel like we, you know, we, we have to uh, have so much or uh, some of us are really stingy with it and some of us are really... Uh, have no problem spending all that we have. And that can create a lot of problems in the marriage. But I would say, how, how do we view marriage, or marriage? How do we view money? And uh, what does that fulfill inside of us uh, as, as a sense of security? Um, I, sometimes you hear the comment that uh, the number one problem with marriages is uh, money. From my years of experience, I would say it differently. That money has a way of exposing what's going on deeper inside of us. I don't think money itself is uh, a problem in marriage as it is. It it really exposes our real motives and our real values. But um, uh, fame, uh, I I would probably lump that with to be liked. But um, how important is it to you to be liked? Uh, for me, that's kind of important, though I can just say I don't need anybody. But I do care about what you think of me. Uh, 
It's interesting that uh, a study was done of people that are on Facebook, and um, it, it found that, um, I'm trying to remember, recollect the percentages, but uh, like 50% of um, those on uh, Facebook, uh, out of, a th- I think it was 1,000 that were surveyed, said that... Um, uh, they were depressed or uh, being on internet stuff made them more depressed. Uh, because usually it's like, I'm not getting enough likes or here's what somebody else is doing and I'm jealous. Uh, me personally, uh, yes, I have a, a Facebook page. Uh, I post a lot of kind of uh, encouraging things or things about marriage or just uh, scriptural things or principles and such um, or other blogs. Uh, I, I share very seldom anything personal um, or anything about our family, though occasionally we do. But um, I, I don't want that to be a distraction that would cause people... I don't know what they would think of me, but I, I don't want them to uh, get wrong thoughts about, oh, is this what Don's doing and, and being upset and such. Um, so my, my point is, is some of us live for Facebook. When I, I, to be honest with you, when I post something on Facebook, I'll go back later to see how many people liked it. And sometimes I'm surprised how many people liked it, and other times I'm surprised how many, only one person liked this? What's wrong with everybody out there, you know? And it's like, and do, am I living for that? Um, and, and so um, how, how deep is your desire to what people think of you and, and how you look. Uh, another one is just social media. What is your motive in posting things on Facebook? Uh, kind of goes along with the other one. Uh, the, the other one here is uh, idle habits. Some of the things that we do just plain waste time. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do some idle things, but when that consumes us, it distracts from one relationships, but more importantly to me is it really robs us of knowing God better, of being of service and being used of God. How so? I may be stepping on some toes here, but let me say this: I my personal conviction is this: that the way that we use some things without do discipline I think Satan uses us uses it just for idleness so that we don't spend time with God more devotions or or reading the Bible Uh, I think it hinders us from relationship with one another and I think it also robs us of being of service and helping other people because we're so consumed with you know playing our games or looking at this and that that uh, we have different, and I don't want to blame everything on social media, but uh, I'm sure it applies to other areas too. But I would say, how much is being lost for the kingdom of God because of our idleness? And uh, is it a distraction? And then the last one here, our selfish ambitions. Uh, This is our desire to ease the uh, pain that's going on inside of us, whether it's... um, just eating or uh, porn or being on something, but it fills in that gap 
in order to uh, um, not feel the loneliness, the pain that's going on inside. Does the hunger really satisfy what you're looking for? So if I'm spending time on uh, social media or uh, porn or, you know, fill in the blank, does it really give a sense of satisfaction deep inside? When it's all over with, no. It's kind of like um, from time to time we have couples come in where one of them has trouble with alcohol, drinking, and uh, they have a hangover and such. And my question was, and I, I know that usually there's, it's much deeper, but, but um, so is your drinking really worth how you feel the next day, how it affects your children, how it affects your wife? Recently there's a couple came in and uh, the only time they drink is when they're uh, out with others couple socially or they're out on their boats or going to a party or something but when they go they drink heavily and that's when they have their worst fights and sometimes physical and other than that they get along pretty good and my point is if you know that destroys your relationship why do you keep drinking you know well it's just, it's just a social thing to do we don't and it's not like they have a drink every day or what, it's, it's out. I would say, guys, when are you going to wake up that this is destroying your marriage relationship? And so uh, what is going on inside of you? Um, moving on. Um, so what would be the opposite of that? I think it's, it's developing a spiritual hunger inside that... Um, what is the eternal value? Instead of the trivial things and how I'm going to feel comfortable and, and feed my appetite for deeper satisfaction that doesn't last, um, am I really seeking God in a way that um, uh, can bring lasting satisfaction? So a few of the questions here. Do we hunger to feed our soul and satisfy our spiritual hunger? When was the last time we took and just, you know what, um, instead of finding something to do, what if I just go to the Word of God or I, I read some things that would be edifying that would kind of build up my spiritual growth or draw me closer to God? And I think sometimes, uh, the last time, the, the times we, we turn to God is when we're in trouble versus when things are going fine. And so, um, do I even have a desire to pursue spiritual things? Which I think has a whole lot to say about our spiritual maturity. Are we seeking, the next question is, are we seeking to do the will of the Heavenly Father? Do we hunger for what He uh, wants? Uh, again, I bring us back to the verse in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye the first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. So what does it mean for Don Smith to seek the kingdom of God? It means that I need to take and evaluate what I do during the day. What I invest my energy into. Um, probably to a fault, I'm one, I feel like I have to be busy all the time. To relax, um, I, I feel like to relax, I'm wasting time. And so I need to find a healthy balance there. But the reality is, um, I only have so much time left on earth. And I really want it to matter 
for eternity. Um, I think of the verse in Acts 13, 36, and it says, and when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. We're here for a purpose. In Psalms 139, it says, he knew all the numbers of our days before we were even conceived. And he knew what our life would be like, what our story would be. And I would want to take and make my life count when I get to heaven. Um, Something that concerns me many times is, um, have I shared Christ with someone? And I'm I'm not really courageous in going out and, hey, you know, do you know Jesus Christ and uh, such? Um, but I, I think through some of the things I do and the teaching and this and that and talking with people and counseling, do I bring it up? Do I take advantage of the opportunities God puts me in? Some years ago, there was a couple that came. He had a real drinking problem. His wife wanted a divorce because of that. So he was coming in and, hey, Don, you know, help me get counseling so my wife won't go through with the divorce and deal with my drinking and such. And so um, it became apparent he didn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And so I took and um, I thought, well, he's taking our classes. We share the plan of salvation there, and he'll get that. And then I'll follow that up with, you know, what is he, where does he stand with God? And uh, unbeknownst to me, um, he missed that class on salvation. And so it's like, I, I kind of forgot about it. And so a few sessions went by. And one day I, I just said um, to him, uh, you know, I really want to talk about your relationship with God. And and uh, so we talked about it. And he accepted Christ right there in my office. Like, wow, that wasn't too difficult. And, um, and the next counseling session, he came back and he said this. Don, why did you wait so long to share Christ with me? I didn't know what to say. And that brought to my mind, what if he had died? And I go to heaven. This is just in my pictured mind, okay? And I'm I'm going into heaven, and Jesus is inviting me into heaven, and he's standing over here on the side, and he is not going to heaven. And he says, Don, why didn't you share Christ with me? How am I going to feel at that moment? I don't know, but I can't imagine it would be good. Uh, Just, I don't know, four or five years ago, we had a couple uh, come to the class. And um, uh, week four, we share the plan of salvation. But So we're talking about week seven, eight, something like that. Monday morning, a wife calls the office, talks to Becky, and just says, we will not be attending the class anymore. And Becky said, sorry to hear that. Why? And uh, she says, well, my husband passed away uh, late Friday night from a massive heart attack. And um, and so... Um, I prayed with her. Yeah. And um, found out when the visitation was. And um, I got to thinking, I remembered the name. Because when we share 
how to accept Christ as your Savior, we have them mark it down on a little card so that we can follow up on that. And I remembered his name. I told Don, I I think he received Christ that night. And so I went, I happened to have the cards at home, and sure enough, he had prayed to accept Christ as a Savior. And um, that just gave us such comfort to know that, that he had um, accepted Christ. So we went to the memorial service, and you can go ahead and share from there if you want. Yeah, and uh, the wife came right up to us as we walked in, gave us a big hug, and just and her, her first words out of her mouth was, because of you, of you guys, my husband's in heaven today. She said he accepted Christ in, in uh, your class, and, uh, which we had realized. And um, um, that wife just is incredibly, can you imagine? He was just probably two weeks short of eternity not being w- with God. Um, and it's just, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when others are going to die. And I think sometimes we think it's, we have forever to, to share with them. And I, I, my whole point is, do we hunger for what God hungers, that other people would know him and that um, people would uh, walk with him? So the last question here, the only thing that will truly satisfy our hunger is, that, is to do his will and to invest in what counts for eternity. Does what God offer? What does what God offer offers satisfy our soul? Is, is there even a desire inside to take and say, I, "I really care about spiritual things"? And I would say, if, if it doesn't, and I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I'm simply saying it in a sense of then examine your heart and say, "Why is my heart not stirred with things of God?" Uh, being around the people of God and uh, growing. So uh, just some thoughts to examine. What is, what is your appetite? What, what do you hunger for? Uh, temporal versus uh, spiritual. And I, I hope you hear me that I'm not saying uh, temporal things are wrong. It's just what is our motive behind those things? What you have just heard is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2019 Couples Weekend. The focus has been prioritizing your marriage, and you have heard session number one. Sessions two, three, and four will be broken down into the rooms in our marriage relationships. Looking to our hearts. Be sure and listen next week to this podcast from the Couples Weekend of Bridge to Life Ministries, with Don and Becky Smith. If you'd like more information, you can go to bridgetolife.org.